News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 23 of the Luke Macias Show. Guys, uh, I'm going to do a quick introduction and get you straight on to today's conversation. We have a great conversation with Derek Ryan, who is probably one of the premier data experts for Republicans and conservatives in the state of Texas. So we get to uh, meet Derek a little bit, but also take some time to evaluate 2018's numbers, evaluate overall trends within the state of Texas, and look at 2020, a year that Republicans all know um, that we're going to be targeted by Democrats and liberals who have a chance to turn Texas blue, or at least a shade more of purple, even compared to the last election. And so Derek helps dig into some of those numbers with us. I really appreciated his willingness to come on to the show and have a conversation with us. Y'all will really enjoy it. Uh, it's a little bit of a wonky and geeky conversation. So, um, you know, just understand that going in. We're talking through some numbers and di you know, digging into them and understanding what that means. Um, if you didn't have a chance to watch the Democrat presidential debates, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, for what it's worth, I think, um, you know, from a progressive point of view, I think Julian Castro was probably the biggest winner of the overall debates, both the first night and the second night. You also saw people like Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris do very well. And I think you will see that those three in particular begin to rise. Uh, people like Biden uh, didn't do all that great. And then Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders, um, we'll see how much they lose. I thought Elizabeth Warren did a good job at least keeping her position um, within the poll and keeping her, uh, I guess, credibility in some way on the stage. So I don't know that she will lose much, but I do think that you'll see a rise of people like Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg. And then the question for everyone is, what does that do to people like Cory Booker and Beto O'Rourke, who uh, didn't gain a significant amount of momentum through the debates? And how will that affect their candidacies? For Texas specifically, here's the question that continues to remain. Over the next month or two or three, there will be increasing pressure uh, of Beto O'Rourke to drop out of the presidential elections and run against John Cornyn for the United States Senate. And anybody who has looked at poll numbers knows that John Cornyn is incredibly vulnerable right now. There's not a lot of excitement behind his campaign. There's not a lot of momentum behind his campaign. Uh, he is somebody who has largely been in the middle for a lot of his career. And so people who are strong conservatives aren't as motivated by his election. Um, but then also there are a lot of people that are even in the center are continuing to lurch further left. And so they um, are, you know, are open to somebody like Beto or another strong candidate on the Democrat side. This is something Texans have to be aware of. And uh, you should keep your eyes on it because as Bet if Beto fades in the polls, you're going to see increasing pressure on him to drop out and um, run in the United States Senate. Democrats want to make sure they have somebody with such a huge fundraising base and name ID that's already established jump into a race like this. If not, they'll likely all rally around MJ Hager and push her through. With that, let's get you right to the conversation that I was able to have with Derek Ryan. Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy. PatriotAcademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds 
that have gone to this leadership program and come out with a, an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com. We're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out. Please do so today. Well, I am excited to welcome our guest today to the podcast, um, Derek Ryan is somebody who anybody who uh, is an insider within Texas politics knows and probably hopefully follows on Twitter and um, gives him the, the type of Twitter love he deserves, but also just understands if you're on his email list, just how well this guy understands numbers and uh, numbers often move elections when it comes to understanding voter registration and trends and voting patterns. Um, Derek is one of the premier experts when it comes to all things um, you know, voting numbers in Texas. And so I asked Derek to come on to kind of have a conversation about this. And I think it's something that many of you as Texans will be concerned about. Uh, many of you are concerned about currently and would love to know more information about. So Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, let's start before we dive into, uh, you know, demographic shifts and voting pattern changes. Just give our listeners a little bit idea of your background and what brings you to being engaged in the battle of politics. Sure. So uh, while I was a student at the University of Texas, I got a part-time job with the Republican Party of Texas, uh, just kind of doing uh, research on campaign finance reports, hmm. uh, putting together lists of elected officials, that sort of thing. So after college, they hired me on uh, to be the research director. Uh, and then a few years after that, uh, they added uh, voter file management uh, to my list of responsibilities. Uh, and so I was at the state party from 99 to uh, 2009 hmm. uh, and then eventually went out on my own where I'm still doing uh, research and uh, voter data. Were you always kind of a numbers guy growing up? I mean, was or working with Excel sheets and formulas and that type of stuff, was that type of stuff always natural to you? Yeah, uh, so I'm an Air Force brat, so, you know, we were moving every two to three years, so, mm -hmm. you know, there were always periods of time where I didn't really know anybody in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. and so I would always have my uh, nose in almanacs, of all <laughs> things, you know, just looking at random, you know, numbers of, number of hurricanes per year, you know, so I've, I've kind of always had a, a numbers, uh, numbers love. Um, being under, because you served, I guess, under a number of different chairmen, mm -hmm. right, at yes. the Republican Party. And so you've seen 
um, kind of the shifts that happen within the administration and leadership and things like that. What are some of the things that you feel like are really important, having been somebody that worked at the party for a decade? Are there certain things that you think the party does really well or certain things that the party needs to do really well? Um, well, uh, and, and I guess I should preface this by saying the state party still is one of my clients. There you go. Uh, but uh, I, I'd like to say that I'm impressed with Chairman Dickey's uh, mm-hmm. involvement uh, at the Capitol this session. Uh, you know, I've, I think he's probably the sixth or seventh chairman that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and, you know, each one's got its pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was really impressed that he was up there meeting with elected officials, Mm -hmm. testifying, uh, you know, getting involved in that process. And, And, you know, while we didn't get all of our legislative priorities, uh, passed that we wanted to, the fact that people are talking about legislative priorities, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think is a testament to uh, Chairman Dickey, uh, the S- State Republican Executive Committee, the the convention uh, delegates uh, creating this to where uh, we have a specific list of things mm-hmm. that we want our elected officials working on. Yep. So, so um, just to kind of give our listeners an idea of, of where we're going with this conversation, I want to first talk about kind of the overall trends within Texas, and then we're going to focus in on the 2018 elections, um, which was a positive election for Democrats and not so much for Republicans. And so we're going to dig into some of those numbers, and then we're also going to take some time to really turn our eyes to 2020. And what do we currently see? Derek has some specific numbers that he can go through when it comes to trends with new voter registrations and things like that. So, so Derek, first... When it comes to um, Texas all of a sudden being talked about as in play, right, mm-hmm. that um, throws some people for a loop uh, and, and I think causes some confusion amongst the normal Texan out there, right? They're going, wait a second, this is Texas. Um, when you look at the 2018 results and when you saw them, um, I think one of the questions that a lot of people have is, is this a trend that we saw coming over a long period of time? Was it a Was it a brief window? Was it Trump that caused it with the 2016 results? So what are some things you see when it comes to just the overall trends of Texas and what we should be looking at? Well, so if we look at how statewide uh, Republicans have done on the ballot over the last three or four cycles, uh, we're seeing a slight decrease, uh, you know, back in 2014, the Orvis, which is the optimal Republican voting strength, which Mm -hmm. takes into consideration various statewide uh, results from the past yep. in, in 2014, 2016, it was saying that the state was about 58.1% uh, Republican. So now uh, we're looking at it being 54.2% going into 2020. So it's shifted, uh, you know, about 4%, mm-hmm. four percentage points to the Democrats. So we're seeing a slight shift uh, towards uh, the Democrats, but uh, you know, after after November, the big question, and it seemed like all of the journalists wanted to write the "Is Texas turning uh, purple?" Yep. articles, and I think it's I think maybe a, a light shade red, whereas we were you know a dark mm-hmm. a dark red uh, beforehand. We're probably a little lighter red now. I, I don't think we're purple just yet. Yep. Yep. So what are some key, are there any key numbers that seem to be driving that shift in your opinion? Is it regionally based? Is it demographically based? Is it age based? Uh, It's actually all of those. Uh, You know, we've We've kind of, Republicans have had an advantage in the suburban areas. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the Williamson counties, the Collin counties, Denton, 
Fort Bend, uh, all of those areas have been where a lot of the Republican votes are, are have been coming for Republican elected officials statewide. Uh, we're seeing that change significantly. Mm-hmm. And, and to go back to the Orvis, you know, you look at Collin County, there's been a 7.7% uh, shift from Republican to Democrat in Collin County. Uh, same with Denton, 6.6% mm-hmm. shift. Williamson County, which, you know, I, I've, I've grown up in, in Austin. I've been here for nearly 30 years now. Williamson County was always dark red, yes. and and we're seeing uh, that is uh, you know it's a 5.7 percent shift uh, from Republican to Democrat in Williamson County. Uh, so that's that's part of the, the equation, and then there is the the uh, the age factor. Uh, you know, we're uh, 2018 uh, people under the age of 20 turned out at higher numbers than they did in 2016. Hmm. So a higher percentage of 18 and 19 year olds voted in a midterm election than they had in, in a presidential yeah. election. So, which is remarkable. Yeah. And the, that's not a huge number of, of voters, but in, in some of these, yep. you know, local races, that's enough to, to make the difference. It'd be interesting to, I'm sure you've looked at the breakdown of where those are the highest, but I would assume that just surrounding some of those college areas, you had a, a, a more uh, substantial number of an increase. Is that Absolutely. Correct? You know, you look at uh, Hayes County yep. uh, and uh, Texas State in San Marcos, uh, there were precincts where, uh, you know, around the Texas state area where Republicans were only getting 15 to 20 percent uh, of the vote in Hayes County, which is a, a, a pretty red county uh, or has been in the past. Uh, those student voters were uh, able to show up in, you know, significant numbers. And, uh, you know, those results were kind of shocking, actually. Yeah. So, so let's go to 2018 as a whole. Um, you know, I remember conversations that you and I had and conference calls that we were all on going through different numbers and uh, trying to track all the people who had voted and understand what their voting patterns had been in the past and how things looked. And at the end of the day, um, I would say that most every one within the Republican Party tried to keep a more positive outlook on where the elections were headed. And uh, I feel like everybody, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So every time you have an election that doesn't go well, I feel like every single operative that exists goes, oh, I saw this coming. I knew this was just right. I told everybody. And, uh, and you know, I didn't feel good on election day by any means, mainly because just so many people were voting that we didn't know. Uh, where they were going to fall, right, one way or the other. And to me, whenever you're in uncharted territory, it's um, it's at least cause for concern, you know, whether or not uh, that concern is valid or not usually gets confirmed on November. So instead of uh, having that conversation where you and I act like we both were the ones that knew exactly what was going to happen and uh, saw this coming 100%, what what were your kind of general first reactions when you, when you started seeing those results come in in 2018? Um, and what were maybe some different assumptions that you were making at that point? Okay, so uh, what we were doing during early voting is uh, the, the counties, uh, top 15, top 30, uh, most populous counties were sending us uh, their list of early voters uh, each day. Uh, and so we could take that list and, you know, look at their past uh, election history to see, uh, you know, okay, uh, 
20% of the people who are showing up uh, to vote early are previous Republican primary voters. 15% are, you know, previous Democrat primary voters. Uh, so, you know, we could use that information and, and kind of see, you know, what's happening at the state level, uh, but also in some of these districts. And so that's kind of when alarm bells really, you know, kind of started mm -hmm. going off. Uh, you know, it's like, wow, the, the number of people who are showing up to vote in a midterm election uh, are significantly higher than mm -hmm. they have been in the past. Uh, and in fact, uh, after the election, we've, we determined that 44% uh, of people that voted in 2018 had not voted in the previous two midterm elections. Wow. Uh, so, you know, there was a huge group of people, like you said, we didn't know uh, how they were uh, voting necessarily. So going into election day, uh, I kind of figured, okay, we might lose one congressional mm -hmm. uh, seat. I hadn't, you know, really determined if it was going to be uh, Sessions or Culberson. I yep. just kind of figured one or the other was was likely going to, to lose. And I figured at the legislative level, we were probably going to lose maybe five or six mm -hmm. state house seats. And so I ended up being wrong on both accounts, which yep. I think a lot of people were, you know, we lost two congressional seats. Uh, we lost a couple of uh, state Senate seats and we ended up losing 12 uh, state house seats. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it was really important after the fact to kind of determine who who had showed up mm -hmm. to vote and, and just as equally who had not showed up to vote. Uh, you know, we had uh, 545,000 people with previous Republican primary history who did not vote in the 2018 general election. So 545,000 votes that we left uh, off of the, the polls. Uh, and of those, nearly half of them had voted in a previous midterm election. Hmm. So, you know, it was kind of, you know, that was a red flag, like, okay, we need to figure out what we can do to get these people re-energized, re-engaged uh, going into 2020. And, and so the, the understanding with those numbers is these are hundreds of thousands of Texans who, if they had showed up to vote, would have supported a Republican ticket, right? Would have likely supported Republicans from the top to the bottom um, and just didn't show up. Either because, I guess the question is, either because um, they thought that Texas was solidly red and they weren't concerned, or that they in some way were um, disenfranchised with you know Republicans either at a state level or federal level and just weren't motivated, mm -hmm. right? One of those one of those two um, situations. So when it comes to 2018, we saw the biggest shift in counties like Dallas County, uh, Collin County, Williamson County, Fort Bend, um, and some of those greatly affected state legislative races, right? Some were just kind of countywide. I'm thinking of Fort Bend in particular, right? Mm -hmm. Where we didn't really have any shift when it comes to the legislative seats there, um, but we also had a, a pretty big shift in the county. So where are some of those shifts happening more rapidly than in other areas uh well you know i, I think i think i mentioned it uh, uh briefly earlier is uh the the basically the suburban areas yep. of, of any of the the major cities uh in the state uh you know you look at collin and denton up in the dallas fort worth area uh you know and even to an extent uh some of the other surrounding counties uh, of 
the Dallas Fort Worth area, uh, you know, Fort Bend, uh, Brazoria to an extent around the Houston area. Mm-hmm. Montgomery's still pretty solid red, but you know, it's starting to, to trend, uh, uh, a little bit, uh, towards the Democrats and, and actually, uh, going back to Collin County, uh, they had me come up to talk to their victory, uh, committee, uh, the, summer before the election and i told them like and i used williamson county as an example i said look williamson county used to be solid red uh Mm -hmm. i think we're going to lose some house races in there uh and we're going to have a hard time keeping that you know uh, republicans elected countywide Mm -hmm. in williamson county and i told them i think collin county's about two years behind Mm -hmm. uh williamson county but it's still kind of on that same same trend Hmm. uh you know and then the austin area you've got williamson and and hayes county uh, are kind of shifting uh, a little bit uh, towards the democrats as well um what about the the was it five hundred and forty five thousand? what was the number you gave me yes yeah so so with the five hundred forty five thousand voters do are they evenly spread out throughout the state or is there a certain area that they come from more uh, so than others? That's a good question. Uh, a, a lot of them are uh, from the urban and suburban areas. Okay. So, so the urban, the urban Republican primary voters, uh, and I, I don't have any, uh, you know, definitive uh, information saying that this is the case. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like, you know, if you're a solid Republican primary voter in Dallas County, mm-hmm. it was kind of hard to get motivated because you knew the writing was on the wall mm-hmm. that, you know, your vote may not necessarily matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that may have been a reason that they stayed home, uh, you know, in the, the Dallas, Harris, uh, Bayer counties, you know, Travis. Uh, so uh, the, the bulk of them were in the urban and, and, and suburban areas. Got it. And then when it comes to, and that, I guess, switches to the other side, there's a lot of conversation that's been had about how much the rural areas delivered um, for Texas. And so we saw many of those communities that even voted more Republican in 2018 than they voted in 2016. Is that not correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, election night, you know, I was tracking the, the cruise results, and, and when I saw the numbers for Tarrant County, I was just kind of doom and gloom. Like, yes. oh, my gosh, Beto's going to win this. Yep. Uh, you know, thankfully I was wrong, and uh, it's because uh, of the rural voters uh, showed up and kind of, uh, you know, dragged up Republicans across the finish line. And, uh, you know, just to give you – an idea of, uh, of that specifically, uh, in the top 15 largest counties in the state, Cruz only got 41.9% hmm. of the vote, but in the remaining counties, he got 68.6%. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's those voters in, you know, the panhandle in East Texas, uh, you know, central Texas that, uh, that, uh, kept Cruz uh, in yep. office. Yep. And the reality is if, if, if you're a Texan in one of the rural areas, uh, we need you to continue to ensure that your communities come out, you know, 68, 70, 75% Republican. And if you're one of the conservatives that find yourself in a rural or suburban area, um, you know, there's, I guess the good news for you is that most of the people that you know might actually 
not be voting for Republicans or conservatives. So there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when it comes to people in your lives who you could encourage, um, you know, to, to see the light when it comes to their voting patterns. Absolutely. So uh, w- let's wrap up kind of 2018. Um, what were, were there any races in particular that mattered to you? Even here locally, we had the Paul Workman district or the uh, former Jason Isaac district with uh, Zwiener who picked that up. I mean, what are, what were some different um, races that you followed more closely? Yeah, so I, I think that 2018 was kind of the perfect storm for the Democrats. Uh, you know, uh, the, you had an unpopular uh, president as far as, you know, Democrats go. Yep. Uh, you know, they had a reason to show up is to, to vote against the Trump agenda. You had uh, an unpopular U.S. Senator mm-hmm. uh, on their side. You had the rock star candidate mm-hmm. in Beto, which, you know, Democrats hadn't seen in Texas for, you know, years. Uh, you know, Wendy Davis kind of started off rock star, but she fizzled quickly. Uh, you know, you can go back even further and the Democrats at the top of the ticket get even more boring. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, all of those combined uh, created this perfect storm. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Aaron Zwiener. I think this is this is one of the perfect examples of uh, just how much of a struggle we had in some of these uh, districts. So I, I got I also do opposition research and, and I got hired uh, after the primary election to do opposition mm-hmm. research on Aaron Zwiener uh, going into the general. And, you know, I'm sitting there uh, searching through past blog posts that she had uh, written. And one of them, she talks about how she admires eco-terrorists and she loves that, you know, the passion in their hearts and that they're willing to destroy equipment and, and, you know, start fires uh, for the cause. (laughs) And then she goes into the story about how when she was in her 20s, she... uh, came to visit her parents out in West Travis County. And, uh, and this is all in her article. She says she went and tried to burn down, uh, some new development home just as, just as a, uh, you know, a, a you know, fight the power kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I'm reading this and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we just won this. We won this race with this, this, single article article that she wrote and you know Hayes County like I said is blowing up you know it's one of the fastest growing areas in the state if not the country which means development you know they're tearing down trees for new houses they're creating these new neighborhoods like this isn't going to play well in that district and you know it didn't matter you know the Democrats showed up for regardless but to our knowledge, she has not continued to try to burn down those developments since being elected as a state representative. Well, so after she announced that uh, she was running, she apparently, and this was like a 10 or 15 year old uh, blog piece, yep. she went and edited and said, oh, this is this is fic- fan fiction. Ah. I had, you know, this is not a true story. I never, I've never done this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, mm, okay, whatever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, to my knowledge, that is no longer her MO. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, so let's talk about 2020. So we, um, you know, during the legislative session, most everybody stayed focused on policy and, uh, what we were going to get out of the session. Um, and we've now come out of that and are focused on the elections. Right. And so, um, there's been some recent news about Republicans efforts to register more 
conservative-minded Texans to get out and vote. Um, and there are multiple different organizations and different individuals who are going to be very active on trying to make sure that's happened. But what we do have and what you have released, I think, uh, probably before uh, it's some of the most detailed information that I've seen released on this uh, compared to anybody else, is information on who's already registered since the November elections, right? So these are people that have registered um, since... The November elections, and so therefore they are presumably more interested in the political process, at least enough to make sure that they have the ability to cast a ballot going into 2020. And so what are some of the numbers, just overall, uh, total number of registered voters, where they fall? I've got a couple questions for you on that, but why don't you kind of give us the, the 411 on that stuff? Sure. So we've seen about 630,000 uh, new registrants since, uh, since November, and, and to give you kind of a comparison, uh, four years ago, uh, it was only 480,000. So, uh, you know, we've seen a 4% increase in the total number of registered voters in the state in just the past uh, eight months. Uh, so, you know, and, and like you said, these are the people that are energized mm -hmm. for, for, you know, one reason or the other, uh, you know, because they're, the election's so far off. Uh, you know, we're we're kind of used to seeing people wait until the registration deadline to register to vote. Well, if these people are, are registering, you know, 22 months out from the general election, you know, you're you're thinking that these people are probably pretty engaged. Yep. Uh, you know, they're moving into the state. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're ready to get involved. So, uh, you know, we, we looked at those 630,000 new registrants. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, about half of them live in precincts that Cruz carried and half of them live in precincts that uh, Beto carried. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there doesn't seem to be a significant favoring of one side over the other, at least just from a regional perspective. Right, right. I, this is a technical question that probably might not matter all that much, but it, are these people that have registered after the deadline to have voted in the November election or after the November election. Yeah. I know there's going to be a slight difference there. These are people whose registration took effect the day after the, the general election. Okay. So, so they may have showed up to vote. Yep. We're told you're not a registered voter. They yep. filled out their voter registration day card that day. So, yep. so it's people that were not eligible to vote in the November election. So I saw some of the breakdowns of house districts that you did when it came to uh, pros and cons. One question I had is, did you see any districts that kind of stood out? And here's what I mean. So, so when you look at some house districts, you go, okay, well, in this house district, 80% of the newly registered voters come from precincts that Cruz carried. Well, it also might be a house district where 80% of the precincts crews carried, right? So, I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily show one trend or another as much as it's just this is the general demographic and these uh, new registered voters seem to be equally spread throughout the district, right? So, mm -hmm. are there any districts that stand out to you when it comes to, um, hey, this is a district in which crews carried significantly, but more of the newly registered voters actually come from precincts that Beto carried? Yeah, so, uh, you know, like I said, we've got uh, 12 districts in the state house that we lost mm -hmm. in 2018. Uh, on top of that, we had 17 districts where the Republican won, but they won with less than 55% of the vote. Uh, 
so going into 2020, we've got what a nine nine seat advantage mm-hmm. uh, majority. Yes. Uh, so you know we've got 17 seats that could switch uh, from Republican to Democrat in 2020. And if uh, you know a large portion of those go to the Democrats, you know we're talking about uh, you know a, a Democrat majority in, in mm-hmm. the state house. So that's why I think it's important to look at who's who's registering to vote in these areas. Uh, and, and you know you've got uh, you've got quite a few districts where uh, you know you've, the the Republican won with you know less than fifty five percent of the votes, mm-hmm. uh, but the people that are registering to vote, like for instance, Dwayne Bohack in, in the Houston area, mm-hmm. uh, you know he had a recount, ended up winning by you know I think like fewer than fifty votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 73% of the people who've registered to vote uh, since the election in his uh, district uh, live in, in Beto precincts. Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, all of these all of these races that we won in 2018 by the skin of our teeth, yep. uh, it, it's pretty obvious to me that the Democrats are, are targeting, you know, them uh, with their registration efforts. What percentage of these people are, is there, have you broken it down by how many of these seem to be transplants from out of state who are moving in versus individuals who seem to have been Texas residents for some time and are deciding to engage in the political process? Yeah, so that's a good question. You know, we hear that there are about 100 people moving to Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that's Austin, 100 people a day. But, you know, you've got quite a few per day that are moving into the state from from California, New York, you know, all of the Mm -hmm. the blue states where, you know, you question why they're leaving the blue states to come to a red state and then are voting, uh, you know, for the same policies that they uh, were fleeing. Uh, but but it's kind of a mix. Uh, you see, about half of them are, are people that have moved here from other states, and it's uh, the other half are people who have lived here. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, I hate to go back to the, the counties that I always use. The, the Williamson County, you know, you may have a, a Democrat who's lived in Williamson County for twenty years. They've never bothered to register to vote yep. because they didn't think it mattered. Exactly. Yeah, they weren't motivated. And the fact that they see, uh, you know, some of these people are like sharks, right? They see blood in the water and it motivates them. And so when you have certain communities who have, for a long period of time, like you said, thought that their vote wasn't as important, all of a sudden see an election in their backyard, like MJ Hager against Carter that almost goes blue, they go, wow, if I had been engaged, right? My, my state representative is now a Democrat, and I have a chance to have a Democrat congressman if I just step up and get engaged. So they have a little bit of the winds at their backs. And the question is whether or not conservatives and Republicans can energize our side with the idea that, hey, you have probably just been a loyal voter or you have not been a voter uh, for some time and just been, you know, going to church and engaging in your community and taking your kids to school and, uh, you know, enjoying your weekends with your family, not realizing the fact that your very community is going blue and whether or not those same individuals are going to step up and, and get engaged Um, You know, Derek, going through these numbers is really helpful because one of our goals is just to make sure that everybody across Texas is staying more and more engaged in the process and understands the importance. You know, if if somebody is not registered to vote, we would ask them to go get registered to vote very quickly. Um, If you're a liberal listening to this podcast, I don't know why you are, but um, we hope that you will seriously consider your worldview and consider changing prior to going into the ballot box next November. Um, But all 
also, I mean, really taking a step back and, and thinking about the people in your life that you know that have uh, a conservative worldview but aren't engaged in politics. The real question isn't if they're willing to go attend the Republican meeting down the street or whether they're willing to go to the state convention and get involved in the party as Derek has done, but whether or not they're registered to vote uh, so that they can actually go cast a ballot in November of 2020. And so I really appreciate you coming on and kind of going through some of these numbers because it shows at least our listeners and other people in Texas, the importance of staying engaged and also the concerns that we should have. Because if Republicans and conservatives don't wake up, um, we very well could see a slightly more purple Texas, right? And, and I appreciate you also showing us the numbers that show that Texas is not quite as purple or blue as some in the mainstream media would love to paint it. But that doesn't mean that there's not some trend that if not taken seriously, mm-hmm. could take us in that direction. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, I would tell people, go register 20 of your friends, you know, when you're at church, uh, after church is over, you know, ask them if they've registered to vote. So when you're at various, you know, meetings, uh, take some registration cards with you. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that the, the Democrats who weren't registered to vote uh, that are finally doing that, well, there are mm-hmm. probably some Republicans out there who haven't registered to vote because they thought that uh, there was no need to, yeah. so that Texas was red, their county was red, uh, they didn't need to show up. Uh, well, now we're, we're making the call. It's yeah. time to show up. Well, Derek, thank you so much for coming on and and peeling back the curtain on some of these numbers and what they mean. And um, yeah, I'm just really appreciative of your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I hope many of you uh, took some time to listen to that entire conversation and learn a great deal just about what the numbers tell us um, regarding our state, regarding the state of Texas and the fact that it is increasingly competitive. Um, I think Derek has some hope when it comes to just um, peeling back the onion and realizing that, yes, our state is still red, but it is much less red. And so for conservative-minded individuals, conservative-minded Texans, I think it's a motivation to us to continue to reach out into our communities, communicate our message, con- communicate our policies, communicate our ideas, and the opportunities that they provide for so many people in our state. So um, with that being said, guys, look, if you're continuing to listen to our podcast, uh, we're very grateful. Uh, We every week have people that we run into or people that send a message in saying, hey, I'm listening to the show and I really appreciate what you're putting out. So thank you so much for continuing to follow along. If you have not subscribed yet, please just click subscribe. It it made sure that you get our episode on Monday as soon as it goes out and is publicly available. Also, uh, leave us a review on any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to us on. That helps us continue to gain more and more listeners. So if you're somebody who's been listening, we'd appreciate a review so that our show can continue to reach more and more Texans. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening and um, God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.